Chapter Five of Craddock Knoll: A Tale of the New Forest, Volume Two, by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Five. Meanwhile, that keen engineering firm, Wind, Wave, and Tide, had established another little business on the coast hard by. This was the general wreck and crack-up of the stout Pell Castle. A proceeding unnoticed by anyone except good mother Jacob whose attention was drawn to it forcibly as the head of the bed fell in upon her Thereupon the stout dame made a rush for it taking only her cat and spectacles and the little teapot of money As she started at a furious pace and presented to the elements a large superficial area the wind could not resist the temptation but wafted her to the top of the bunny without her feet so much as once a touching the blessed earth she goes mad if any one doubts it and planted her in a white thorn tree and brought an elam of thatch to shelter her from her own beloved roof there when the wind subsided she was happily discovered by some enterprising children the cat was sitting at her side in one blue hand she held her specks and in the other a teapot Poor Pell's easy chair was thrown up three miles to the westward in the course of the next spring tides and Being well known all over the neighborhood from his lending it to sick people was brought to him with a round of cheers by half a dozen fishermen They refused the half crown he offered them and displayed the greatest anxiety lest his honor should believe it was them as had taken the shrine off The workmanship not being modern the chair was little the worse for its voyage only it took six months to dry and had a fine smell of brine ever afterwards Then having been lent to an old salt's widow it won such a reputation all across the new forest as a Specific for rheumatics in the small of the back that old women having no small to their backs Walked all the way from Lyndhurst just to sock themselves down in it and how much was to pay please for a quarter of an hour a shilling said Octave Pell a shilling for the new lifeboat that lives under Christchurch head Then they pulled out mighty silver watches and paid the shilling at the 15 minutes The walk and the thought of the miracle and the fear of making fools of themselves did such a deal of good That a man got up a bus for it, but Pell said no one who come by bus shall sit in my chair of ease The greedy sea returned brave Pell no other part of his property his red tobacco jar indeed was found by some of the dredgemen three or four years afterwards But they did not know it was his and sold it crusted as it was with testacea and ribboned with seaweed to the zealous secretary of I won't say what museum Roman or perhaps Samian or perhaps Phoenician ware cried the secretary lit with fine though it may be loose ideas and he catalogued it Phoenician in the opinion of an FAS There is every reason to believe it of ours fury cremation Hello cried Pell when he went there to lecture upon cricket as played by Ulysses why I'm blessed if you haven't got The most undoubted Phoenician relic contained in any museum so he laughed with other people's cheeks like a man of sense All the folk of Rushford and many too of Nowelhurst contributed to a secret fund for refurnishing Octavius Pell So great were the mystery and speed and so clever the management of the dissenting parson 
that two great vans were down upon Pell before he had heard a word of it. He stood at the door of the cobbler's shop and tried to make a speech, but the hurrahs were too many for him, and he turned away and cried. Tell me of any man in England need to be anything but popular who has a heart of his own and is not ashamed of having it. At the Crown, where the three sick people were, a very fine trade was doing, but a finer one still upon the beach, as the sea went down and the choice contents of the Alawal came up. For the terrible storm began to abate about noon on the 26th. It had blown as hard for 24 hours as it ever does blow in any land, except in the gaps of the Andes and during cyclones of the tropics. Now the core of the storm had no more cells in it, and the puffs that came from the west and northwest and so on till it got to the pole star were violent indeed, but desultory and seemed not to know where they were going. Finally, about midnight, the wind owned that its term was over and sunk, well satisfied with its work, into the arms of slumber. Placidaque ibidimum morte quievit and its work had been done right well no english storm since the vast typhoon of seventeen o three which i should like to write about some day if my little life storm blows long enough had wrought such glorious havoc upon that swearing beaver man it had routed his villages at the land's end and lifted like footstools his breakwater blocks it had scared of the lives of his eddystone watchmen and put out half his lighthouses it had broken upon his royalty and swept down the oaks of the new forest it had streaked with wrecks the goodwin sands and washed ships out of harbours of refuge it had leaped upon london as on a drain trap and jarred it as a man whistles upon his fingers it had huddled pell-mell all the coal trade saddest vaunt though not the last it had strewn with gashed and mangled bodies like its own waves countless the coasts of anglesey and carnarvon on the morning now of the twenty-seventh with the long sullen swell gold-beater skinned by the recovering sun the shingle bank was full of interest to an active trader they had picked up several bodies with a good bit of money upon them and the beach was strewn with oranges none the worse for a little tossing for the stout East Indiaman, Aliwal, had touched at the Western Islands and taken on board a thousand boxes of the early orange harvest. And not only oranges were rolling among the rack, the starfish, the shark's teeth, and the cuttle eggs, but also many a pretty thing, once prized and petted by women. There were little boxes with gilt and paint, sucked heartily by the salt water, and porcupine quills rasping up from panels of polished ebony cracked mirrors inside them and mother of pearl and beading of scented wood all the taste and the labour of man yawning like dead cockles crimped backward sodden and shredded as hopeless a wreck as a drunkard then there were barrels and heavy chests planking already like hemp in the prison yard bulkheads and bulwarks and cordage and reeve blocks and ten thousand other things well appreciated by the wreckers who were hauling them up for bunnies while the admiralty droitsman made an accurate inventory of the bungs and the blacking bottles some of the sailors and most of the passengers who had escaped in the boats to christchurch came over to look for anything that might turn up of their property hereupon several fights ensued and many poor fellows enjoyed opportunity 
for a closer inspection of the rushford stratum than the most sanguine of their number anticipated until the police came down in force and extinguished at once all other rights of salvage except their own nevertheless there was yet one field upon which the police could not interfere although jack wished for nothing better than to catch the lubbers there this was jack's own domain the sea where an animated search was going on for the body of colonel nowell his servant had hurried from christchurch to nowelhurst to report the almost certain death of sir cradock's only brother he did not go first to ascertain it for the road along the cliffs was impassable during the height of the storm sir cradock received the announcement with very few signs of emotion he had loved that clayton in early youth but now had almost forgotten him and clayton had never kept his brother at all apprised of his doings sir cradock had gone into mourning for him some three years ago and colonel nowell never took the trouble to vindicate his vitality until dr hutton's return and even though they had really known and loved one another as brothers the loss would have been but a tap on the back to a man already stabbed through the heart therefore sir cradock's sorrow exploded as we love to make our griefs do and as we so often express them in the moneyed form i will give five hundred pounds to the man who finds my poor brother's body that little speech launched fourteen boats what wrecker could hope for anything of a tenth part of the value men who had sworn that they never would pull in the same boat again together might the great being the giver of life strike them dead if they did forgot the solemn perjuration and cried give us your flipper ben after all there are worse fellows going than you my lad and ben responded jump into the starn sheets you are just the hand as we want harry many's the time i've thought on you even the dredging smack hauled inshore from their stations and began to dredge for the colonel till the small boats resolved on united action tossed oars and held solemn council several speeches were made none of them very long but all embodying that fine sentiment fiat justitia ruat coelum in the form of fair play and be deed to you then sandy mac of the practical mind made a suggestion which was received with three wild rounds of cheers give em a little ballast boys as they come in shore to dredge for it with one consent the fourteen boats made for the shore like the fleet of canoes described by the great defoe nor long before each shallop's nose grated on the golden sands the men in the dredging smacks looked at the sky to see if a squall was coming and soon they got it thick as hail and as hot as pepper the fourteen boats in battle array advanced upon them slowly only two men rowing in each all the rest standing up and every man charged heavily when they were at a nice wicket distance old mac gave the signal and a flight of stones began which in the words of the ancient chroniclers well nigh darkened the noonday sun the bravest dredger durst not show his head above the gunwale for the rushford stones are close of grain and it is sweeter to start than to stop them as for southwesters and dreadnoughts they were no more use than vine leaves in a storm of electric hail ah little then those mellow grapes their vine leaves shall avail so thickly rattles on the tiles the pelting of the hail 
the dredgers gave in and hoisted a skirt as a signal for a parley the rushford men refused to hear a syllable about snacks what they demanded was unconditional surrender and the dredgers having no cement stones on board were compelled to accept it so they took up their bags and walked the smacks off three miles away to their station with very faint hopes indeed that the obliging body might follow them the boatmen celebrated their victory with three loud cheers for sandy mac and a glass of grog all round then they returned to the likeliest spot and dragged hard all the afternoon tarnation cute body cried ben as i ever come across who'd a thought as any professing christian would have stuck to davy jones's locker and refuged the parson and clerk so spit on your grapples my lads of wax and better luck the cast after the lord kens the best replied sandy mac with a long drawn sigh as poor vessels canna do more than is the will o the lord boys howsomever i brought a bit o bait a few lugworms and a soft crab or two and please the lord i'll rig my line out and see if the bass be moving and likely there be a tumbling cod on the run spearing after the pure bodies ah yes the will o the lord we ates them and they ates us the canny old scotsman without foregoing his share of the general venture for he helped to throw the grapnels or took a spell at the rudder rigged out a hook on his own account and fastened the line to the rowlocks fair play my son cried ben winking at his comrades us go snacks in what you catch mind and the will o the lord be done dinner you wish ye may get it the old man glowered at him indignantly i'll no fish at all on that understanding fish away old boy and be blessed then i see he ain't been in the poventis service for nothing but i'm blowed if he'll get much supper harry if it's all to come off that darned old hook they all laughed at old mac who said nothing but regarded his line attentively with many a joke and many an oath they toiled away till the evening fog came down upon the waters then as they turned to go home old mac felt a run upon his fishing gear hand over hand he began to haul in coiling the line in the stern sheets it's a whopping big fish as ever i feel mates na na you'll not touch it or you'll be claiming to come and sup with me i deal a bit the lord forgive me will ye have for grinning at an old man that likes o that i tell ye lord have mercy in me awake and sinful creetur they all fell back except mcbride as before them in the twilight rose the ashy grey face and long white hair of colonel clayton nowell mac stuck to his hall like a scotchman to him the main chance was no ghost many a time has he told that story and turned his quid upon it cleverly reigning between his teeth with fine art to prolong the crisis the line being his and the hook being his and the haul of his own hands only sandy mac could never see why he should not have all the money the question came close to litigation but for that except as a word of menace mac was a deal too wide awake he compounded at last for three hundred pounds and let the other four share the residue so poor colonel nowell's countenance still looking grand and dignified was saved from the congers and lobsters and he sleeps close by his nephew and namesake in nowelhurst churchyard the body of captain roberts was found a long way up the solent he had always carried a weather helm 
and shaped a good course for harbour may they rest in peace i have no doubt that captain roberts so rests and am fain to believe in the mercy of god the same of the brave old colonel at least we will hope that he is not gone to that eternal punishment whose existence our divines contend for in a manner so disinterested he had been a harem scarum man and now having drowned and buried him we may enter upon his history with the charity due to both quick and dead but paid to the latter only a soldier is in many things by virtue of his calling a generous careless man we have always credited the sailor with these popular qualities hornpipes national drama and naval novels imbuing us i doubt if the sailor be on the whole so careless a man as the soldier jack is obliged by force of circumstance to bottle up his money his rollicksomeness and sentimentality and therefore has more to get rid of when he comes ashore once in a twelvemonth but spread the outburst over the year strike the average of it and the rainfall at aldershot will equal that at portsmouth only by watching the army list which at length he was tired of doing could the english brother tell if the indian brother were living even the most careful of us begin to feel that care is too much for the nine lives of a cat when fahrenheit scores a hundred and ten degrees in the very coolest corner and the punker is too hot to move so after one or two griffin letters full of marvels which the writer pretended not to marvel at a silence as of the jungle ensued and sir cradock thought of tigers then the slides of his own life began to move upon him and less and less every year he thought of the boy who had laughed and cried with him lieutenant noel was ordered suddenly to the borders of the punjab and for twenty years his brother cradock drank his health at christmas and wondered how about the article against praying for the dead the next thing he heard though it proved his own orthodoxy disproved it by making him swear hard clayton noel had married married an afghan woman to the great disgust of his brother officers and the furious disdain of her kinsmen a very fine family of afghan chiefs immediately loaded their fusils and swore to shoot both that english dog and their own bright eyes of the morning to think cried sir cradock nowell that a brother of mine should disgrace himself and what matters far more his family by marrying a wretched low afghan woman to think cried mohammed khans that a sister of ours should disgrace herself and what matters far more her family by marrying a cursed low english dog which party was in the right judge ye who understand the matter the officers wives got over their prejudice against bright eyes of the morning and matronized and petted and tried to make a christian of her captain nowell adored her she was so elegant in every motion so loving and so simple she quite reformed him for the time from his too benevolent anthropology from the love of dice from the vinous doings which the prophet does not encourage but the poor thing died in her first confinement while following her husband's regiment at the foot of the himalaya leaving her newborn babe to the care of a faithful afghan nurse who had kept at her dear lady's side even among the infidels 
this good nurse being great of soul and therefore strong of faith could not bear that the child of her mistress the highest blood of the afghans should become a low frank idolater so she set off with it in the dark night crouching past the sentinels thieves and other camp followers and trusted herself to the boundless jungle with only the stars to guide her she put the wailing child to her breast for her own dear babe was dead and hushed it from the vigilant ears of the man-eating tiger then off again for afghanistan six hundred miles in the distance how this wonderful woman soothing and coaxing the little stranger obtrusively remarkable for the power of her squalls how she got on through the thorns the fire the famine the jaws of the tiger and worse than all the pestilent fever bred from the rich stagnation of that alluvial soil is more than i or any other unversed in woman's unity may pretend to show enough that with her eyes upon the grand religious heights heathen high places we should call them she struggled along through nearly three-quarters of her pilgrimage and then she fell among robbers a villainous hill tribe of mixed origin always shifting never working never even fighting when they could run away hated and despised by the nobler mountain races the pariahs of the himalaya ignorant of any good debased as any africans in a single word rakshas or worshippers of the devil a nice school of education for a young lady of tender years or rather months to commence in the nurse was allotted to one of their chiefs and the babe was about to be knocked on the head when it struck an enlightened priest that in two years time she would make a savoury oblation to the devil so the afghan woman was allowed to keep her until she began to crawl about among the dogs and babes of the station here she so distinguished herself by precocious skill in thieving that her delighted owner conferred upon her the title of never spot the dust and even instructed her how to steal the high priest's knife of sacrifice that last exploit saved her life such a genius had never appeared in any tribe of the rakshas until this great manifestation so never spot the dust was well treated and made much of by her owner to whom she was quite a fortune and soon all the band looked up to her as the future priestess of the devil for ten years she wandered about with them becoming every year more important proud that none could reproach her skill in stealing lying and perjury utterly void of all religion except the few snatches of muslimism which her nurse had contrived to impart and the vague terror of the evil spirit to whom the wild men paid their vows but when she was ten years old a tall and wonderfully active child and just about to be consecrated by the blood of inferior children a british force drew suddenly all around the nest of robbers of late the scoundrels had done things that made john bull's hair stand on end and when his hair is in that condition sparks are apt to come out of it seeing no chance of escape and having very faint hopes of quarter the robbers fought with a bravery which quite astonished themselves but the evil spirit was against them a rare inconsistence on his part their rascally camp was burnt which they who had burned some hundreds of villages looked upon as the grossest cruelty and more than half of their number were sent home to their patron and guardian when the afghan nurse so faithful and so unfortunate 
fled from the burning camp with her charge fell before the british colonel and poured forth all her troubles the englishman knew major nowell and had heard some parts of his history so he took never spot the dust to her father who was amazed at once and amused with her she could run up the punkah and stand on the top and twirl around on one foot she could cross the compound in three bounds she could jump upon her father's shoulder and stay there with the spring of her soul she could glide along over the floor like a serpent and hold on with one hand to anything and then her most wonderful lightness of touch she had fully earned her name she could brush the dust without marking it she could come behind her father's back crawling over the table and fasten his sword hilt to his whiskers without his knowing a thing of it she could pick all his pockets of course but that was too rude an operation for her to take any delight in what she delighted to do and what even she found difficult was to take off his shoes and stockings without his being aware of it it was a beautiful thing to see her consummate skill is beautiful in whatever way it is exercised the shoes she could get off easily enough but the difficulty was with the stocking and there the chief difficulty was through the sensitiveness of the skin unaccustomed to exposure though she had never heard of temperature evaporation or anything long her genius told her the very first time where the tug was and how to meet it keeping her little cornelian lips lips which you could see through just at the proper distance she would breathe so softly upon the skin that the breath could not be felt as inch by inch she lowered down the thin elastic covering then she would jump up out of the ground and shout into his ears with a voice of argute silver faddery will oo have oo shoe fear to go without him she began to talk english after a bit and the weather-beaten colonel for now he had got that far who had never looked upon any child except as one rupee per month thinking of his beloved bright eyes of the morning who might with the will of god have made a first-rate man of him only she was too good for him thinking of her and seeing the gleam of her glorious eyes in her child he loved that child beyond all reason and christened her eoa he never took to bad things again he had something now in pledge with god a part of himself that still would live and love him when he was skeleton and that his better part should learn how lying and stealing do not lead to the right half of the other world his ideas about that other world were as dormant as eoa's but now he began to think about it because he wanted to see her there so with lots of tears not only feminine eoa nowell was sent to the best school in calcutta where she taught the other young ladies some very odd things indeed wherever she went she must be foremost second to none was her motto therefore she learned with amazing quickness but it was not so easy to unlearn then arose that awful mutiny and the colonel at mal was shot through the neck and let lie by his own soldiers his daughter heard of it and screamed and no walls ever built would hold her all the way from calcutta up the dreary ganges she forced her passage sometimes by boat sometimes on her weariless feet she had never cared much for civilization and loved every blade of the jungle the old life revived within her and she looked upon the broad waters and the boundless yellow tangle 
wherein glided no swifter thing nothing more elegant than herself she found her darling father in some rude cantonment prostrate helpless clinging faintly to the verge of death dead long ago he must have been but for rufus hutton and dead even now he would have been but for his daughter's presence his dreamy eyes went round the hut to follow her graceful movements she alone could tend the wounds as if with the fall of gossamer she alone could soothe and fan the intolerable aching they looked into each other's eyes and cried without thinking about it then as he gradually got better and the surge of trouble passed them eoa showed for his amusement all her strange accomplishments she had not forgotten one of them in the grand school of calcutta they had even grown in her growth and strengthened with her strength she would leap over rufus hutton's head like a flash of light and stand facing him without a muscle moving and on his back would be a land crab she would put his up-country hat on the floor and walk on one foot round the crown of it she would steal his case of instruments and toss them in the air all open and catch them all at once by her nursing and her loving her stealing and her mockery she won dr hutton's heart so entirely that he would have proposed to her had she only been of marriageable age or had come to think about anything then they had all to cut and run with barely three hours notice for the ebb of the rebellion swept through that district mightily eoa went to school again and her father came to see her daily until he was appointed to a regiment having something more than name and shadow now eoa having learned everything that they can teach in calcutta the himalaya or the jungle was coming to england to receive the down and crown of accomplishments who could tell but what they might even teach her affectation youth is plastic and imitative and she was sure to find plenty of models not that the honest colonel wished to make a sickly humbug of her his own views were wide and grand only too philoprogenitive still like most men of that class who upon sudden reformation love truth so much that they roll upon her having no firm rules of his own and being ashamed to profess anything with the bad life fresh in his memory he took the opinion of old fogies who had been every bit as unblessed as himself but had sown with a drill their wild oats the verdict of all was one miss nowell must go to england finding his wounds still troublesome he resolved to retire from service he had not saved half a lakh of rupees and his pension would not be a mighty one but between the two there would be enough for an old man to live upon decently and go wherever he was told that his daughter ought to go he had seen enough of life and found that it only meant repentance all that remained of it should be for the pleasure and love of his daughter and he knew that there was a sum in england which must have been long accumulating a sum left on trust for him and his children under a very old settlement he would never touch a farthing of it every farthing should go to eoa bless her dear eyes they had the true light of his own bright eyes of the morning End of chapter five